town to some of these places in Kensington, you'll know that we were standing there giving out hot dogs and what on the street, we, it's called the heroin dance and there's a guy across the street doing it. He was so high on heroin, he just didn't control himself, but you can't control your movement sometimes and the way you have so much energy. And, but I looked across all the people who stood in line and came to get hot dogs and so many people I saw for years at Trenton at Mosaic when we started it in the shower trailer. You know, every body matters. Um, everyone's body matters and everybody's, everyone's body tells a story. That's why I wanted Chuck to come up here and tell you not just, hey, use your body for God, but your body tells a story. Um, if you're a soldier and you're willing to sacrifice your life uh, for national freedom, you would tell a story. If you're a professional athlete, an Olympian, you're developing muscle memory and all kinds of stuff constantly to win a gold medal, um, you're telling a story. A pregnant mother carrying a baby to full term and having a child is telling a story. A teenage girl just getting up in the morning, picking out an outfit in her closet in which she's going to go to school to impress people. She's telling a story. The Son of God hanging bloody on a cross, a Roman cross, tells a story. Um, tonight, just in the few minutes we have left, I want to challenge you about Whose story is your body telling? Um, you're either embodying the story of culture or you're embodying the story of Christ. Theologian Alan Verhey says that every ethos implies a mythos. And by that I mean every time you live the pattern of your life on a regular basis, that's your ethos, your ethic, your lifestyle. It's telling a larger story. He calls it mythos. I mean, it's... You live in a story every day. And one of the main ways that you tell the story that you live in is through your body. Um, what we do with our bodies reveals what we believe in at the heart that we believe that is the heart of the reality in which we hold to. Um, what view of reality is your body demonstrating? And let me give an example. If someone regularly views pornography, um, they're looking, their life is telling the larger story of sexual pleasure is what your body is for and this is how you view people and use them and what you see God as not really much in your life. You're telling a story. If you are single and morally pure, which would be almost an anomaly nowadays, and you refrain from sex, you're telling a story by remaining celibate uh, with your life. If you're married and you want to be committed to your spouse for life, um, you are telling a larger story because you're reserving your body and committing yourself to your husband or wife for as long as you both shall live. It tells a story, a bigger story that you live in. And the question for all of us tonight, and I want to just give you a working paradigm to see how you make choices with your bodies. You know, people ask, should you get a tattoo? You know, if I did, what would I do? How should I use my body? How should I? And so we need to have a, a, a paradigm or a structure to be able to work through to how that we should do it. Not just because it's popular, it's a fad, or it's something going on in our culture. Why do we do what we do? And is your body in any way, shape, or form linked to the gospel story? I want you to think about the ramifications of that. 
So let me say it bluntly because our time is short. Is your body connected to God's story? Does your body really tell others what you actually believe? In a book called Hidden Worldviews by Stephen Wilkins and Mark Sanford, they tell the difference between, these are their terms, confessional beliefs and convictional beliefs. Confessional beliefs are the things that we say we believe. Convictional beliefs are what our lives reveal by our daily choices, what we actually believe. And they put it this way, our behaviors are the stage on which we play out our stories. And for them, they would say beliefs are always embodied. In other words, what you truly live, what you truly believe is lived out through your body every single day. So Christians need to constantly be on guard about the false ways of thinking and more importantly, even the false ways of living and in doing so embodying the false stories of our culture. You can know what someone really, the story, their real story is and you could ask them by two ways. If you want to know what someone's story is, you could ask them, what are your beliefs? And our church has it on the website. These are our doctrinal beliefs. And you could know partly about what their real story is if you did that. But you really want to ask them not about their confessional beliefs, as that true, yes, but also their convictional beliefs. So let me give you an example and then we're going to apply it. Um, if you wanted to know what someone believed about missions, you could ask them what they believe. What do you believe about your personal responsibility in evangelism? How do you, do you believe that you should live on mission with Jesus every day? Now, test number one, you could say, they could say, well, yes, I do. And here's what the Bible verses are. Go into all the world. And pre- so you, they know, that's their confessional. But then you, if you really wanted to know if they actually believe that, you could ask them these questions. Well, how many of your neighbors do you know? And do you know them by name? Have you ever had any of them over to your house? Have you ever had them invite you to, into their house? Have you ever had enough time and spent enough time with them that you've actually been able to share the gospel? Because, see, those questions really answer what their true beliefs are. So everybody has a story. Now, pay attention, please, last few minutes, please. Our stories are communicated by symbols, okay? Let me give you an example. Symbols are very powerful, in the New Testament, don't turn there, Mark 11 has back-to-back stories. And the first one is Jesus approaching Jerusalem for the last time in Mark 11. He comes up and he's with the disciples and he looks at this fig tree and there's no fruit on it. And he says, cursed are you. Well, no one should ever eat fruit from you ever again. And he curses the fig tree. And they kind of like take it in, but they move on. So he walks into the Jerusalem the next morning and he walks into the temple and he begins to overturn the money changers and overturn everything. And this, he quotes Isaiah 56, 7. This is my father's house. You shall not use it as a den of robbers and thieves. It's to be a place of prayer for all the nations. And what he does for a very short time is he stops the temple and everything that's going on there. Now you have to understand the temple is the Jewish central symbol of everything. It's where God supposedly met behind the curtain with him. His Shekinah glory presence was there. It was their biggest symbol. It represented everything to them. So put it together. Why would Jesus, why would Mark put these stories back to back? Because he curses the fig tree and then Jesus walks in there and stops the temple proceedings for a little bit. Why? Because he's symbolically 
cursing the temple. And so after the whole thing, they walk out and Peter says, look, Lord, there is the, ter- the tree that you cursed and it totally withered up and died. The idea is Jesus is the temple. See, now that's ancient use of symbology. It's powerful. Let me give you a modern one. 2016, you might have read about this. Colin Kaepernick of the 49ers was at a game. Everybody was standing up and the flag, the pregame national anthem, it's played. Everyone stands. He kneels. I'm not here to debate whether he should or shouldn't have done that or what was right or wrong or his beliefs. But I'm telling you this, without words, he created a firestorm. Because everyone else stood and did this and sang the national anthem, he kneeled and did none of that. See, he created, he never uttered a word, but here's why. Because the American flag and the national anthem are powerful symbols in our national identity as American. And when he did the opposite and knelt down, many people would feel he disrespected that. But listen, he had, see, it's, he was using that as the power of symbol to get across his point. In America, Listen, there are rules about the flag. There are rules about how you put it up and how it has to be waved. And if you take it down and you have to to display it a certain way. And if you have to dispose it, there are certain ways you have to get rid of it. Why? Because it's no joke in America, the American flag and the national anthem. It's powerful, see. And he knows that. Another one is your wedding ring. I had a guy sit in a hospital room who was a drug addict and we kept his wife at our house for a few weeks because she didn't have anywhere to go because she couldn't go home because he was taking drugs. And he finally got sober or, you know, enough to come into the hospital and visit her one day. This is the guy that is the father. And I give him the riot act, so to speak. And he takes his ring off and he throws it at me. It's powerful. He said, you know what? I don't care about this commitment. And he throws it at her and me. But it's a powerful, you know what? You put this on every day. What? It's a reminder. I've made a commitment. See the power of this symbol? And when someone goes out and they're unfaithful to their spouse, they usually do it by taking off their ring first. You know why? Because these symbols are powerful. Our symbols make us who we are. They embody the story that we are a part of. Now listen, your body is one of the main symbols of God's story, the gospel. So when you get dressed and when you do your hair and you put on certain clothes or you decide what you're going to do with your body, it really matters. Why? Because your body is a symbol of God's story. Take, for example, and let me go through them quickly, Jesus' body. We have communion. And in this communion story of Jesus, the climax of God's story in the Exodus and the new Exodus, what is it symbolize? We have symbols at the table. We have a little cup and we have a little piece of cracker what those symbolize powerfully symbolize the most meaningful story that there has ever been and we take them serious everyone gets real serious nobody talks you don't mess around they're in communion they're powerful jesus says to his disciples this is my body which is given for you and he symbolizes it And you drink the cup, and when you do it with everybody else, it's powerful symbology, and hardly any words are said. Jesus appeared after his resurrection to his disciples. And you know what he does? Not saying a lot of words. Here's what he says. Look at my hands. Feel my side. Look at my feet. Touch me. He says, I have a body. I'm real. 
he says. The empty tomb, although there's not a body in it, a bodiless cave is a powerful symbol. We're the only religion whose main leader claims to still be alive. Because the empty tomb is a powerful symbol, his body is not there. And it means everything to us. So story is embedded in symbol. And through that, we have the practices of how that we live our lives daily. Let me give you another example. The Apostle Paul. Paul said, you know this verse, Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You see the story? It's the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And he says, like they put the animals on there, here's the symbol. You put your life on there. See, the symbol is an altar in the temple, the main place where God is. That's how you view your body. Your body is a continual sacrifice to the living God about how he has transformed your life. And then in verse two, he tells you how to be transformed and use your body to prove it. He goes on to say in his own life, Philippians 1, 20 and 21, he says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that nothing I should be ashamed, but as always, so now, even in prison, Christ shall be magnified in my body. How? Whether by life or by death. Don't turn there, but listen. At the end of the book of Galatians, Paul says this, let no one bother me from anymore, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I would say the greatest tattoos are the spiritual ones. Because in his body, he could tell you, you see the marks I have? I've been beaten and lashed and flogged many, many, many times. Hundreds of marks on his body. And he says, you don't think I know the gospel? No one should bother me about this issue anymore. Look at my body. Because my body is a symbol of what the story of Jesus is about. It's a story of this. Suffering and then glory. And see, his body embodied that story. And he could say, see, in the word stigmata, the Greek word for marks, it was used of how you marked your slave in that day that everyone would know that you belonged to this master. And he says, look at my body. See how many times I've been beaten? Know this. Never question this. I am the slave and I belong to one master, Jesus. And my body and the way it looks and what I do with it tells that story. So I live my life a certain way. We have it today, right? Now, I'm not going to say any words. Tell me what this means. What am I doing? I'm going to fight someone. What if I go like this? Yeah, I'm strut, right? What if I do like this? I'm kneeling. I'm humble. I'm going to probably pray, right? How about if I do this? This. Right? How about this? Now, I haven't said a word, but I have, haven't I? We call it body. Mm-hmm. Because they tell you things without words. Can I tell you this? You don't get it. We don't think it often. We should. Our bodies tell a story. Our body language speaks. It communicates who you are and who God is. Let me close with this passage. If you'll turn lastly, 1 Corinthians 6. The, probably the best passage, I think, in the New Testament 
Don't worry, I know it's almost time to go. Your body, if you're going to follow the story of Christ, will have to be countercultural. Remember story, symbol, praxis, those are our paradigm, how we think through things. In the first century, read 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 19 on your own. I'm going to highlight it. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians, let me start preface by saying this. Have you ever seen unfeminist movements or even recently with all the Roe v. Wade things, the abortion rights people? This is one of their big slogans. They carried on signs. My body, finish it. My, yes. Can I tell you, that is the slogan of our world. I am my own. That's the view of the body that is prevalent in our day. My, my body, my choice. Now with that comes all kinds of things culturally. If it's your body, then you can do anything you want with it any time. And in Corinthian culture, 1 Corinthians 5, they were use, using their bodies for incest. In chapter 6, I'll read it for you. They were using it for adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and the list drunkards. And by the way, this whole passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 is, is boxed up or framed with what they call literary inclusion. And it's this, and they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So a lifestyle of those practices disqualifies you from eternity with God. You can't inherit. Why? Because you're not living the story. And the story is the kingdom of God. And when you live that way, see, you're living in a different story. Your body is the symbol and it's used completely in an antithetical way. And therefore the practices all come out wrong, including all kinds of sexual deviancy. And in, and in Corinthian culture, that's what it was like. And then the Christians came along and Paul ends that little paragraph and he says, you know, you were doing all these drunken sexual perversion things. And he says, and such were some of you, but you changed. And now you're justified and you're sanctified and you're glory. He said, you have totally been revolutionized. And you have come to the place where it's not my body, my choice, but his body, his choice. Revolutionary if they would have held up that sign. But see, here's what the Bible says in Corinthians. Can I show it to you in verse 12 through 19 real quick? Three times, again, I'm not going to read it all. Three times he says the question, do you not know? And here's what surprises Paul because he spent time in Corinth, a lot of time. Read it for yourself in the book of Acts. We spend a lot of time in church. We read the Bible. And here's what Paul says. I am completely amazed that you don't know how to use your own body for God. I am amazed. Amazed sometimes at God's people who don't understand that everything you do with your body matters. It matters about the clothes you wear, the hairstyle you have, the jewelry you have, the modesty or immodesty, what you look at, how you use your body. It all communicates. It communicates what story that you're in. Do you not know? Verse 15, 16, 19. And then he says this, and I want to just end up where I started this little talk. He says, don't you know, if you're in the kingdom of God's story, that your body is a, verse 19, what? A temple. What did I tell you about temple? It is the most important cultural symbology. Even not just Jews, but everybody who worshiped a false god had a mammoth temple at the center of everything in their Roman cities. 
The temple was the center of everything. It symbolized everything that you stood for and believed in. And here's what Paul says. Let me tell you, you should know this about your body. You know what your body is? Your body is the number one symbol that everybody should look at and say, look at them. Look how they dress. Look at everything about it should point to God with their body. All of it. All of it. And then he gives you the motivation not some rules or legalistic mandate. He doesn't say, hey, here's what you should do because your body's a temple, now snap to it. That's not how he motivates them. You see what he says? Verse 19. You have it from God and listen, you are not your own. Verse 20, see the word for? Here's the motivation for you were bought with a price. That is slave market talk. You were bought as a slave, you don't own your body, he does. And you know why he can say to you, use your body this way, but don't do this with it? Because he paid for it. He bought it. And you know what the price was? His blood. The cross death of Jesus and his resurrection paid for it. We live in a culture that says, my body, I am my own. I call the shots. I do what I want, when I want, how I want. And he says, let me tell you what Christianity is. It is completely countercultural to all of that. You are not your own. Five of the most important New Testament words. You're not your own. You are his. And your body should embody his story and be a symbol of who he is and what he does. And that'll be demonstrated by your practice every single day and what you do with it. Listen, I can't tell you how important this truth is for our children, for our teenagers, for our lives. We have an opportunity with our bodies today and every day to demonstrate the difference between culture and Christ. Not because we're superior or better, but because we have been loved by a Savior who gave his life for us. That's what should move us to be different. And I was challenged by Sharon, how are we going to live that out? I, I wish we had more time, how to make it even more practical, but I'm leaving it up to you for now to be able to say, hey, this is what we need to do in my family Maybe we'll go through our closets. Maybe we'll think differently. Maybe we'll ask ourselves about this. And it goes beyond all the things I've mentioned, how you sleep and all you, how you eat and how you exercise. And there's so much more to it. But I hope tonight that you, at least in this little bit of time we've had to be able to have a paradigm in which you can think through decisions in your bodies because everybody matters. Let's pray. Father, we just want to end our our brief time together tonight. And thank you how in Chuck D we see how you can change someone's life and how they view and use their bodies because he's in a different story now. He's in yours. And how the scriptures so completely and clearly teach us about who really our bodies, who they really belong to. They don't belong to us. They're first for you and then for others. Oh Lord, that's the Christian way. That's the countercultural way. And if we would obey in that way, what a difference we could make as men and women in Jesus. Help us to do that in our families. Help that do that in our lives. That our bodies, as the last part of verse 19 says, therefore glorify God in your body. 
Help us to do that to more because we've been together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.